Today, on Farming Together, I speak to Martin Novak and Dr Joe Harvey-Jones, board members of Quality Timber Traders. They are an enthusiastic group growing native rainforest timbers that was formed through the Farming Together program. Martin and Joe talk about the decision to keep their motivated group of rainforest timber enthusiasts engaged through a more informal association rather than forming a formal cooperative or joint venture. You're listening to the Farming Together podcast. Farming Together, a podcast series exploring how farmers, fishers and foresters can establish collaborative business models and co-ops that address current economic and environmental challenges. With your host, Amanda Scott. Farming Together is created in collaboration with Southern Cross University's Farming Together program. Can you tell me a little about what quality timbers or who quality timber traders are and how you came to be involved? Quality timber traders are really a group of timber growers. Most of our group are people that are growing native rainforest cabinet timbers. The group started up as a result of the Farming Together program, which we applied for from, through the Subtropical Farm Forestry Association. We partnered with the Southern Cross University. And how did you come to be involved? I'm a forest grower been growing uh, rainforest cabinet timbers on my farm, macadamia farm now for something like 30 years. So I've got some trees ready to harvest, had some at the beginning of the project. And I'm also the president of the Subtropical Farm Forestry Association. And I've been in that role now for quite a few years, over 20 years. Wearing multiple hats by yeah, the sounds that's of right. things. Exactly. A farmer, forest grower and uh, association president. And how about you, Joe? No doubt you wear a lot of hats too. Uh, how did you come to be involved in QTT and what other hats do you wear as well? Look, I think we need to mention Carol Neal here because I think that's where that's where the seed was sown with her. She ran a, an advanced operation compared to what we were doing in terms of harvesting trees up in southern Queensland. I actually joined her group. She she had this system where she would um, help you manage it towards um, harvesting for an annual fee, which was going to work really well. That connection led to us talking and us having a field day here in Eureka, you know, way back, probably a year, maybe six months before the Farming Together program started. So, we were already, if you like, looking at that point at the idea of here we were, a load of tree enthusiasts growing trees, but with very little confidence, if you like, in the idea that we could successfully harvest. So the expertise they had put together up there in southern Queensland with a very competent sawmiller was a really good start for us and really gave us the material we needed to put in an application to farming together, you know, that we... We knew where we wanted to go, I think, even for, at that point. So I managed the project, if you like, book work and Zoom meetings. What, else, what other hats did I wear? I wrote the application, I guess. So, and I quite enjoy that process. I, I could tell that from the level of detail with your reports, which are always fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what other hats do you wear, though, I mean, outside of, of QTT? I've just come back from the Solomons. I was working as a volunteer there. I, I went as an accompanying 
dependent. In fact, my, with Jane, my wife, who was volunteering in the hospital in Honiara, but I ended up finding work on forest certification, which was magic for me because it's actually the learning curve that we were that they're on over there is something that we need to be doing here if we're going to successfully market our timber i have um well we'll talk about it later but we do have plans now for a kind of self-certification by creating a chain of trust or custody from the grower right through to the end user so that's that's our next step that's uh, still in the planning stage and we're applying for more funding anyway later perhaps yeah that sounds really that interesting we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that i want to take us back to the point of this formation of of qtt martin what what was the catalyst joe's spoken about carol kind of planting that seed for the idea but in terms of the industry and the challenges that you were facing what was the motivation for forming this Group. Well, um, I suppose Joe's touched on it, but it was an opportunity for us to finally, here we are with all these trees that are now getting quite sizable and the project provided us with an opportunity to bring a whole lot of people together in the same situation and learn how we can actually then harvest, mill, uh, dry, grade and then market the timber. Carol had started well, that, that started some of the harvesting, a small amount up in Queensland. So we knew, knew that there was a significant volume of timber around with the people up in Queensland and uh, southeast Queensland and, and our area that provided us with an opportunity to seed that uh, development of people having enough confidence by learning from each other and by getting in some experts. You know, away we went. So you've talked about getting in experts. How did you go about choosing the people to be involved in the project? Well, as Joe's mentioned, the people from Queensland, um, there was Daryl Collins, who was a timber merchant and uh, who'd already done quite a bit of milling and growing his own timber. We also partnered with Southern Cross University, the forestry program there. The key person there was Dr. Graham Palmer, and he, he was an expert in wood processing and wood quality and uh, a significant proportion of the funding went to to the university to help us in terms of grading timber in terms of harvesting and, and and measuring what was harvested and then we held a few workshops where we invited people that were involved in different aspects of the timber industry and forestry and they contributed in those workshops. There's a lot of exchange of information and experience. Uh, you know, a lot of our members uh, had different experiences with all this, so that was promoted. And then, of course, we had Kate, Joe's daughter, that set up a website, and that, that attracted more people. And we ended up with our Woodfest at the end, which attracted lots more people. Yeah, which I'm sure we will talk about definitely because I know that was one of the great highlights of the project and I went along to that and it was just such an amazing event. So um, I just want to go back to the getting the right people on board or how you choose the people because we know that that's really important when you're working together in businesses working together. So, Joe, would you say that you already had relationships already existing with most of the people you worked with on this project? And if so, do you think that's something that's important in going forward in this kind of collaborative partnership? 
Oh, a bit of both. It was fantastic having new energy from people that you hadn't contacted before. People like Daryl Collins, Alison in Queensland, who is a, a really expert on hands-on forester, but also wonderful with statistics. She created a, an online um, survey of all our farmers, which I think was one really important step that happened quite early on. And we, we began to see the bigger picture of what they wanted, what the growers wanted, what they knew already, what was their level of knowledge. And yeah, the, the picture it drew was it was quite inspiring, really, because it, it was obvious that they wanted what we were doing. I think that was an important step. So that's one person. Carol was a driving force, and she also had a lot of background in marketing. I mean, I, I, you can imagine tree growers getting to know how to fell timber, how to work the machines. They're practical people. But marketing is something way out of our sphere. To have her on board was, was wonderful. Well, obviously, Graham Palmer was uh, having that connection with, with research, with the whole network that he opened up. I mean, I think, I'm not sure whether it was him, but I'm sure it was. He used to be the head of the Salisbury Research Centre at one point, which is in fact where we ended up, where they organised a peeling trial for us with the Kwandong, which is something which could work really well for thinnings. It sounds yeah, like that, you, you had um, existing relationships, but also new ones were forged. And it, some of that expertise that within these different people was actually quite vital to the project's success. Absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So talking about success and start with Martin, how would you summarise the achievements to date of the group? Yeah, well, the fact that we brought together a whole lot of people, more or less what we're talking about now, I mean, that was that was fantastic because uh, we've got an association, the Subtropical Farm Forestry Association, but it had never really focused on the actual harvesting and milling and, at the end, the marketing side of things. The fact that we brought people together and they, and they got on really well together, we were able to demonstrate uh, through what, their experiences were we were able to demonstrate to each other and to some of the new players that were just interested in what we were doing that you can actually grow timber and grow these forests uh, planted forests and within you know 20 to 25 years you you can harvest some decent sized logs and produce beautiful top quality timber from it so yeah that was the main i suppose what we thought our group did did really well was the fact that we attracted lots lots of people and we were able to show and and see for ourselves that it wasn't just Joe and I there were lots of other people that were doing the similar things and they were succeeding in what they were doing and there was an opportunity there now to collectively go ahead and harvest mill dry and market this timber and and for you, Martin, personally, as a forester, what has this project meant for your business? Well, you can imagine I've been growing these trees ranging from sort of, I suppose the oldest were about 30 years old and youngest, something like 10 years old. Just been putting a lot of effort into growing them, a lot of uh, some money. I got very little financial support to do my side of it. I helped through a number of projects to help others do it, but because I was 
Uh, the president of the association, I wasn't able to benefit directly from it. So here was an opportunity where I could actually get something back for these efforts. And it was always the goal to produce sustainably homegrown timber and put it into some beautiful products. Uh, and finally, you know, this enabled me to do that and to share that experience with others. Just to add something that to what Martin was saying about harvesting these trees, we're we really want to emphasize if there's anyone listening in who's not aware of the need to harvest in a planted forest and the fact that our planted forests are mixed species most of the what we're looking at here uh, they don't constitute exactly what a natural forest does but they're as close as you can get environmentally i think they're the, probably the best planting model that you could possibly think of but the issue is that after 20, 25 years, the fast-growing species then tend to dominate the stand. In effect, carbon sequestration stops. If you look at the curve of carbon accretion, at about 25 to 30 years, it flattens quite significantly. We'd really like people to understand that, much as they may not like the idea of harvesting rainforest species, we did grow these from our seed ourselves. And... And the issue is that those locked up forests are no longer accreting carbon. We, we need to take out those fast growers. And if we can turn them into fine furniture, which then that carbon, again, that carbon you've harvested is locked up for another 70 or 100 years. Uh, we're looking at, we're trying to get across the idea of we want to produce the antiques of the future, if you like, from our timber because it's so beautiful. But it, also by taking out those fast growers and making a little money from them if possibly not a lot but it's part of the management that allows the slower growing species suddenly to take up a spurt of growth and to start pulling carbon down again otherwise you just have to keep planting more and more land to trees to keep that carbon accretion going does that make sense that, that frames it beautifully, thanks, Joe. And so I guess for the group, the idea that initially that there was a lot of planting that happened a few decades ago in terms of opportunity and goodwill to do the right thing for the environment. And now you've come to a point where in order to potentially continue to help the environment in terms of carbon sequestration, there's an opportunity to fell some of those timbers and sell them commercially but because there's a small number of them and it's quite, I don't know what the word is, but select or specific, that you actually need to come together to be able to supply market and supply and process in the quantities that are necessary to make a profit or at least break even and not cost a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. It's, yep. uh, yeah, it, to get the volumes. Get the, yeah, we need that scale to commercialise it. So we yeah. need to come together with with others because uh, a lot of our our members have only put in sort of an acre or a hectare or five hectares uh, they're only small plantings on their own and it wouldn't be worthwhile to mm. try and sort of start a whole industry around the odd ones so you know it's, it's essential that we come together mm. so this was a good opportunity and it's the Kwandong species that you're predominantly looking at? 
only because they were the fastest growing species and, and earlier research had shown that even when they're young, as young as even eight years old, but certainly by 15 years, they're, they're big enough to harvest. You don't get the full recovery that you do once they're a bit older. But certainly by 20 years, because they're the fastest growing, and as Joe mentioned, they're tending then to suppress some of the other species in the mix, it was a, the right time to come in and take out some of those Kwandong. We also grew Queensland maple, and again, that was a fast-growing species. Uh, so there were a number of fast-growing species that forest itself, the planted forest, the wood stand, needed to remove so that the other trees could get a go on. And look, I've seen some of the examples that you've shown me of the furniture made with Kwandong, and it's an absolutely beautiful-looking tim- timber. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we had some competitions with that Woodfest event and people produced some magnificent things. uh, And there was some beautiful art as well. Some of the pieces were just a work of art. And that's a young, young tree, you know, it's a fairly young tree. Some of those trees that we we milled were less than 20 years old and they still produced really top quality, nice, beautiful, blonde coloured timber. And it's... uh, Kwandong is one of the few uh, timbers that can be bent 360 degrees. It can actually be bent without steaming. And it was used boat building and in masts and oars and, and bent wood furniture and things like that. So it has a long history of unique uses. Beautiful. Sounds like a lot of potential. More people need to know about Kwandong. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we, we've sort of we've started that process, and you know, we've found that architects are really interested. Blonde timber now, light-coloured timber now, is very fashionable. So, and there isn't a lot of it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of pine, but it's not full of knots and a beautiful light-coloured timber. To me, it would just look. It would look very fine, light yeah, yeah. and just beautiful. So, yeah, fine-grained. It yeah. has that l- light look. <laughs> Scandinavian style, maybe. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I want to talk about structure because I know that one thing that we saw a lot of during the farming together was some of the different structures groups put together and some of the challenges that were also had around working out what type of structure and actually then, you know, drawing up the contracts to formalise that structure And I wanted to talk to you because I know that you were looking at a joint venture structure initially. That's Um, right. But uh, so do you want to talk me through that? Because I'm not sure actually if you ended up formalising that. And I'd also ask, you know, what was that process, how you went about looking at different structures and why you made the decisions you did in the end? Well, the idea was we were thinking of a co-op. Initially, uh, we looked at a co-op or some sort of company sort of commercial entity and then we had the two groups the queensland group which carol was the head of and we had our subtropical farm forestry group down here and we thought well we better sort of formalize this since there was some money involved and some responsibilities we set up a few rules amongst ourselves and and things were working well but we were still heading down this track of forming a, a joint venture we went to a recommended local um, solicitor who had experience in that and he started us off on that track and we also talked to some consultants about it and then we realized the expense of it and since we were working so well together or this was sort of a year into the project or so or at least a few months into the project 
you know, we thought, well, there's a big expense. We are not making money as yet. So we, we just thought, well, this is something that can be put on hold. It's not really essential to the project at this stage. So obviously you felt that the relationships were strong enough with no need to form any kind of formalised structure. Did that work well? And if so, how did you make it work well? Yeah, it did work well because this kind of tree growing isn't a profession as such. It's a, it's a bit more like a belief system and a, a way of life. The people who are involved in this aren't, it's not like forming a dairy co-op or a, we're dealing with people who are very disparate in the way they they nurture their trees, why they plant them in the first place. Some people are way over on the spectrum of environmental repair. Others are much more intent on the harvesting side of it. So in a way, a loose association seems seems to work because we've got very enthusiastic people. And I think the main thing for me is if you want to keep people together, it's all very well forming a structure and a formal organization. But the key really is keeping people motivated. It doesn't matter how good your structure is. If you're not moving forwards, it doesn't matter what your structure is. <laughs> Does that so make some sense? Absolutely. And even even in structures like cooperatives, we, we often hear that, you know, keeping members motivated and or engaged is actually one of the biggest challenges so regardless of the structure whether it's formal or informal that motivating people and engaging people is one of the most challenging things why do you think you were successful in that and did you face any difficulties with people who weren't engaged or involved and how did you address that if so well I I guess the only downside to not having a formal structure is that you don't actually have a formal membership that you can ask membership fees of for instance you know we haven't actually got to the point now of setting membership fees that of you know we had the funding through farming together which was magic and took us a long way along the things we needed to do yeah that side of it the idea of how we're going to self-fund for the future is it is an issue again i feel you know what we're, we're looking at the moment at trying to set up an online marketing system selling online because this type of timber is mainly for furniture can be short lengths we're hoping to be able to courier it around up and down the coast to people who need it you know to to hobbyists to special you know furniture makers i think that could be a reality once we get to a point of commercial something commercial happening then I think we can ask the members to start contributing. In the meantime, uh, I think we're moving ahead, but it, is, it certainly is an issue. We could do it probably with a few more dollars in the, uh, in the kitty to, to get things done. Yeah, I think we were also lucky in the sense that the group that we formed and the small, we kept the management group quite small and then the the membership, these are all in, mostly enthusiasts or people that are really aspiring to do this sort of thing, you know, that have always thought about it, that might have land and they thought, oh, yeah, we should grow some trees to these sort of purposes. So we were pretty lucky in, in the sort of culture that, of our group. We didn't have any real problems. Uh, a few people dropped out, wasn't for them. Mostly people are enthusiastic, supportive. 
so there wasn't a need for a formalized thing and and we always thought well really it'll it'll come about once we start making some money but to this point we've only sold a very little of the timber we haven't really tried to sell it because we we just want to get the right structure we're also spending a bit of time amongst our group making things and, or having things made such as doors and tables and windows and now one of the bigger member growers is setting up a large they're commercializing uh, the whole thing and uh, they've got a bit of they've got a fair bit of finance behind them and they're setting up a large office which is totally fitted out with kwandong and a couple of other species that we grow so we're getting to the point where we've got something to show and we're getting to the point where as joe mentioned this online thing we're feeling confident that we'll be able to start marketing the timber and once that happens then maybe we will form a co-op or some sort of trading entity commercial entity company co-op or a combination of those we've got a few models in the region that started very small such as the macadamia marquee co-op that started very small and now is a is an international giant in terms of macadamia processing and trading and norco the dairy industry co-op there's, there's some good models around so as, once we start selling some timber and once there's money flowing, I'm sure, you know, that will be, we'll have to form formalise something and it will most probably be a co-op with a trading company. Yep, so big long-term plans ahead. Well, this is a whole, the whole thing's a long-term thing. You know, growing timber, you, you, as heard, you know, it takes 20, 30 years. You've got so, a long-term commitment from the start. Exactly. A lot yeah. of the early modelling that we did right at the start was we were looking at 80-year time frames. So, wow. Uh, yeah. It's a good retirement package. <laughs> I'll say. It goes <laughs> on to your, well, it passes on to your grandkids, I think. <laughs> That's the idea. You yeah. plant these things and you envisage it, they'll be there forever and you'll just yeah. be able to take out some timber as you go. That's a pretty nice legacy to leave. Looking back at this point where you are now, what do you wish you had known when you started this? We had such a broad spectrum of knowledge in the team. That wasn't an issue. That, and we've all, I've learned a lot. The beauty of that short time frame we had on the Farming Together program to spend a lot of money galvanized me into a lot of interaction with media, Kate's work on the website and writing newsletters, I, things I'd never done before pretty much been a reclusive on the farm here up till now. I, so you're, thanking, a, you're thanking us for pushing to it, pushing you into new things. New new areas, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that we did, you know, they were, like we've mentioned, we probably wouldn't have wasted time on the, going to solicitors to look at joint ventures. Uh, the other thing is we did hire a couple of professional consultants or facilitators, which we ended up finding it probably wasn't worthwhile. But they were sort of fairly minor things that went along the way. So, you know, you could when, say I wish, when, we, wish we'd known that. But when you, say, um, when you say it wasn't, you know, it wasn't right for you, uh, I think that's a really interesting point for, you know, other groups who might be thinking of doing similar things. Sometimes it's hard to know what you need if you don't know what you need. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this and is catch-22. It is. So uh, do you have any tips for other people in terms of sometimes, as you say, it sounds like you had a really resourceful group who had a lot of expertise, but sometimes you needed to reach out to other experts. What kind of tips would you give people if they were trying to find 
an expert in a field? Well, I wouldn't go rushing off to hire expensive solicitors (laughs) and things like that. I'd just pussyfoot my way through it initially until we had a good feeling and, and do it as a when you've got a group getting a few brains together, you end up finding out that you probably know more than you think you know as a group. Just go steady and, and small steps at a time and, uh, and you'll gradually feel your way rather than thinking, oh, I've got to hire this cons- these consultants and you because know, they're the experts. I mean, if we'd listened to the experts as growers, we wouldn't have ever done what we've done. We, we were told by the forestry experts from the top that what we were trying to do was impossible and a waste of time. A number of them have come back and given us a pat on the back since. But initially, we were told that you couldn't do it. And so we all just did it in our own small ways and you know, based on our own passion and interest, and we did it. So, yeah, I don't know, Joe might add to that. You can't blame people really for not recognising the the usefulness of a new paradigm. You know, nobody had really planted mixed species before. You know, forestry was always about, plantation forestry was always about monoculture. They possibly could foresee things like, you know, single tree felling in these stands actually has been a bit of a problem for us. You know, it's, it's the look of to take a tree down within a stand without doing too much damage to what remains. So we're still learning that. All these skills are what the old single tree fellas would have would have known way back. You know, there's no those old guys who would go out to the forest and just take the trees they needed and pull them out with bullocks. Well, that's where we hope the future will be in our area in this kind of forestry. Our forests are there forever. They're improving the soil and the environment, and they actually a very good habitat for wildlife. Yeah, there's the people that. Martin's talking about the forestry experts were a different paradigm and a different era too, almost, in plantation forestry. You're shaking it up. Mm, Hope so. Well, <laughs> yeah, to some extent. <laughs> I mean, th- things have come a long way uh, in the corporate forestry world as well. So we're, we're all on the learning curve and we're all – but I suppose my point is we just started small and we, we were, it was based on belief as much as – experience and commercial drivers you know there's a lot of people that have got farms in our region uh, northern rivers and, and southeast queensland that, that are steep and they can only really commercially utilize only a portion of their land and there's quite a significant amount of land that's not utilized this has always been a way of utilizing it and really very little maintenance is needed i mean you know we planted these things 20 25 years ago more or less left them alone in the last, certainly after a few, two or three years or four years, we've, we've left them alone and they've done their own thing. Now we're coming back and, uh, and doing a little bit of silver culture. So there's actually what you're saying is there's actually opportunity for a lot of farmers who have land that they can't really utilise anything for anything else to actually look at this as an option in terms of both environmental benefits but also in terms of a long down the track potential alternate source of income absolutely or certainly an additional income viewed like a sort of superannuation or something that will pass on to future generations i want to know if there's going to be another wood fest because it was such a great day and maybe you can tell me a little about uh, a little bit about the event and uh, if there's going to be another one what that's going to look like 
definitely we we were so enthused by the interest and it was also partly the way it was designed and it was a, again it was a joint sort of effort in coming together and coming up with ideas that were a little bit different so we had a design competition and they had different categories and we we invited new people onto our group to help us with this people that were already cabinet makers and uh, furniture makers or art uh, craft people or art wood art people and uh, they helped us in that sense and then we had people that came up with sort of novel entertainment ideas and you know it, it just was very successful we had we had very little time to organize it in fact the whole project was one you know i think we would have done a lot better if we'd had a lot more time to run this project but unfortunately due to the funding restrictions and uh, we didn't but we considering we did really well anyhow so we we ran this thing and we ended up getting over 500 people and i didn't hear any criticism or everyone that attended uh, and they all said you've got to do this again you've got to do this again and we plan to have one this year uh, and I don't think it's going to happen now with the coronavirus and we weren't quite ready for it either so but hopefully next year we've had time and by then we some of these other efforts that we're putting uh, our energy into will come to fruition. One of the things I'm really enjoying hearing from you both is actually that the talk about combining both old knowledge with new technology and new ways of thinking and working. I think it's a really lovely thing that you're acknowledging the existing history of the timber and the people involved in the production at all stages and then what the future could look like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of these rainforest timbers were used for so many different things. I've got some old books uh, that go into the use of our rainforest timbers and it's amazing. They, they made bearings out of them. They made built very lightweight roofs and things and a lot of that um, knowledge is gone, you know, uh, and certainly the practitioners involved in all that are, are gone. Or, so we're resurrecting that aspect of it. We're looking back at what some of those uses, amazing uses were. And then we're, yeah, we're coming up with new ideas and, you know, sort of lightweight use of wood. And especially with climate change and environmental crises that we're faced with, we've got to start looking back at how we lived before and how sustainable all that was. We, as growers, can see that we can actually grow these things and improve the environment and, and make some useful and beautiful things out of it. Our membership isn't just growers. Right from the start, we, our membership has invited nurserymen, seed collectors right through growers to planting consultants right through to to woodworkers and uh, furniture makers fine furniture makers so our newsletter goes out to the whole spectrum we so you know we i think our byline is well from seed to tree to product but we're we're talking about a kind of chain of trust from the very beginnings from the seed collector right through to the final end user and that's the basis for something I mentioned earlier about trying to get work out our own certification system so that we'll, we won't need to go to FSC or 
pay the large fees you need to certify our products. We're going to do it ourselves. For, for people like me who don't know about what the certification process looks like currently compared to what you're proposing for QTT, can you just talk us through and create a little picture for us um, about, you know, what this idea of yours could mean for growers? Yeah, with the certification, the idea is that we, we keep, you know, we've controlled this whole thing. It's been our own, you know, our own thing. We haven't relied too much on outside apart from a little bit of assistance funding along the way. So, and we want to maintain that sort of ownership. We work closely with the experts. So we work closely with Southern Cross University and the forestry program there and the wood experts there and some of the other experts in the field. The idea now is to have a online course that our growers could do and it would be a short online course and we've, we're asked the university to work with us to develop such a course because it's basically what they've already got but we will just make it a little bit more user-friendly for farmers not a, such an academic thing so we imagine that three months a day here every week or something like that online course at, at the end of which these growers would be certified and there'd be a practical audit of what they're doing as well through our membership and then our organisation and the university, we would just self-certify. We would say, these people, we are confident, have done this course. They understand uh, what they're doing with their timber. It's sustainable, long-term, been tested in terms of what it's producing. We feel that that would suffice in us marketing our own timber. Since we've grown it, we should have the right to control the whole process. And, of course, the market will soon tell us how successful that can be. Absolutely. So when do you think you'll have this, when do you look to have this up and running? We actually applied for a small grant, the Small Farms Grant, last year, and we still haven't heard back. So it was only something, you know, a small amount of money just to seed the thing. And we've also talked to the university and they, they would probably get a, a large portion of that money to develop this course for us. So if we don't get that seed funding, it'll probably take a little longer and we'll have to work a bit harder. At, uh, maybe we'll be able to sell some timber and uh, we might get some extra donations. There's some people in the pipeline that would support that sort of process. I think it gives us a really good summary. I guess one thing that I'm also hearing is is these kind of concepts can take quite a long time before they're profitable. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And so that for groups like yourselves that grants sort of provide their the catalyst in terms of to start the initiative, but also other support to, to keep going and building to the point where you can be profitable and stand alone. Because I imagine ultimately that's your end goal. Well, exactly. We don't, we, you know, we're a not-for-profit not organisation as an association and uh, there's no one here that's trying to sort of make money out of that aspect of it. We're just uh, trying to help our members and growers to sell their timber. We've got some bigger growers. They will probably lead the way as, as in other industries, such as the macadamia industry. I've watched that grow from very small to international giant. With those sort of people behind it, and they're, they're serious. They're, they're putting in hundreds of hectares of cabinet timbers, and there's a number of them, and they're also spending some money on machinery and uh, and research, they've actually involved researchers from Southern Cross University as well. 
we're making significant progress and it looks very promising to all of us. So what's the ultimate vision for your group? I think the vision is that I feel that with good luck, this could be a pilot, if you like, and that if we can set up a a way of doing things that works, that it could be syndicated by other people. You know, it's we've built a a fair bit of experience now in taking people, as I say, who are tree enthusiasts through that, through what is a difficult terrain through into marketing. With luck, I think we could, if we can get there, if we can get over the finish line and actually get some online marketing going and that we could offer this as a model to others who, uh, who might want to f- use some of our ideas, if not, not to say they have to take the whole thing on holders boulders, but it would be good to be able to, to syndicate this, if you like, in some form or other to, to other groups if it's successful. That was certainly always been our vision. We want to see more people growing trees and we want to see more people successful in terms of marketing them. We want to see the whole thing grow. And as I said, there are models that aren't that different from what we've started. Uh, It's just that forestry is such a long-term thing. So we've we've got to allow for timescales. It's been one of the difficulties we've had is the lack of time to do all these things and, and money uh, as well. But we've got the enthusiasm and we're plodding on regardless, as we have in the past. Look, it sounds like it's been a pretty incredible and long journey so far and there's some really exciting things to look forward to in the future. So we're going to keep our eyes open watching QTT. What have you learnt that has surprised you most about farming together or, in your case, foresting together? foresting together well i think i suppose what it is is a small amount of money and the ideas of farming together we've always had that in mind something like that but it just took that sort of seeding to kick us off again you know and because and, we've you sort of go through these waves of enthusiasm and ideas we looked at co-ops and and doing that sort of thing some years ago and did a pre-feasibility study but we weren't quite ready we didn't have enough members with old enough trees you know and farming together came along and and gave us a little kick in the pants and away we went these things take a long time and we've persevered and we'll continue to persevere and i'm confident we'll get there yeah i think that's all come through really clearly and really beautifully in your story actually i think you've said it really well and done done it justice good to hear that people appreciate what we're doing For more tools and resources to help you work collaboratively, head to farmingtogether.com.au or join the conversation on the Farming Together Program's Facebook page. You're listening to the Farming Together Podcast.